Well, good morning. I'm glad that you guys are here. Can I share just two update things before we dig into scripture? Uh, just a second, but Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 6 is where we'll be here in just a second. Uh, but I just wanted to share, can we praise the Lord in church? Is that okay? Um, so a uh, couple of things happened this past week. Last week, we began our Finish the Project uh, offering and kind of shared that with the church of what we're trying to accomplish. And so I had something really neat happen to me right after church. Um, one of our guys uh, walked up to me and he said, hey, uh, it's crazy that you said what you did about the $160 or whatever the number that, that is where all of us would participate and begin to kind of help out. He said, I sold off a bunch of junk that was in my garage this past week. And he said, you're never going to believe the actual amount. I said, well, what was it? You know, I was really kind of hoping for 40000 but um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, but it was neat. He said, I made $160. And he said, it was very, very clear that Lord was putting it upon my heart to give towards the finish the project. Now, isn't that incredible that the Lord would speak that clearly, that powerfully, just individually? Another thing that happened, and so this is one of those neat things uh, that, that really wasn't attached to the finish the project, uh, but I got a call from my business manager uh, yesterday morning, um, and, and so usually when I get a call on a Saturday, that's really not a good thing for me. Um, so he called and he goes, I hope I'm bothering you. <laughs> Well, good to hear from you, Terry. That's great. How are you doing today? Uh, and he goes, I got to tell you, he said, some good news and some bad news. And he goes, now listen, these garage doors are going to be paid for uh, out of tithes and offerings uh, that are the exterior garage doors. And so he, uh, he called and he goes, the bad news is they're not going to be able to install them until December 6th. And I was like, well, we've waited a couple of months, not really that big of a deal. He said, but here's the good news. He said, the garage door company called me and said, they have had such a banner year that they're going to donate the doors and all we'll have to pay for is the labor that goes with that. Now, I, I tell you that to say Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. My God is far able to do more than what we could ever even ask. <laughs> And so I think that once we go to the Lord and say, God, we need this, we want to accomplish this, we want to do this for your glory, and the people of God begin to get in, then God begins to bless on an avenue that we didn't even think that he would bless in. And so I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm sure on the other end, uh, Terry was smiling from ear to ear. That mustache was turned north. And so uh, it's one of those things that's kind of exciting. So I'm glad that the Lord's at work. Amen. I'm glad that the Lord's at work at our church. I hope that you'll take part in that. Um, I made the fatal mistake in the early service of not telling them the amount. So they thought that somebody gave a check for 40 grand. So uh, next week we'll be correcting that in the first service. If you see anybody in the first service, be like, hey, it wasn't 40 grand, it was 160, but we all can do our part, right? So uh, it, it's encouraging to see that work. And so this morning, I want you to think with me. Uh, it, it's funny that uh, last week was time change and then this week. So 30 minutes before last week, this place was like almost packed out. This week, 30 minutes afterwards, you guys came in. It's amazing that in one week, we can adjust our sleep schedules that quickly, right? It's crazy how that works. Uh, but this morning, the title of this message is called this. It's always the right time to do the right thing. Now, uh, we're going to get to that here in just a second. Uh, but before we do, how many of you are tired? 
Okay, just uh, had a rough week or whatever it is. But it's crazy that some of us don't rest well. And so some of the results of this are how busy are you? Now listen, we're getting ready to enter into one of the busiest seasons of the year. From October to January, this is what's considered holiday season. All of the events, fall festivals, Thanksgiving, Christmas parties, all of these events take place. It takes planning and shopping. And on top of all of our regular busyness, we became more busy during the holiday season. And so it's interesting that most of us started off busy. There's a study that shows that most people strive to be busy as a status symbol. This is crazy, isn't it? Now, if you were to go ask somebody and say, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? And you go, I'm taking a nap. Man, how sad their life is. And meanwhile, you're a little bit jealous that they're getting a nap and you're going to do something. The study showed that it's funny that a form of social acceptance is being busy at every moment of the day. And so it's crazy that you're not cool unless you're busy, apparently, nowadays. And so I'm very, very cool because I have two teenage daughters that keep us running in all different directions. Another reason that some of us are a little bit uh, lacking rest and lacking sleep is that the average range of acceptable sleep for those 18 to 64 is seven to nine hours. Now, how many of you would just say, hey, I got seven to nine hours last night, okay? This was about one person in the beginning. So if I got seven to nine hours, you better check my pulse. Um, that's just not, not the norm for me. But the uh, and he, uh, study shows 62% of adults around the world say that they don't sleep as well as they'd like. Now, how to get a good night's sleep? Uh, it's interesting that somebody showed um, a, a little meme this morning that says, when I'm tired and wanting to go to sleep, my bed looks like a, a, a Stone Age antique Fred Flintstone bed. But then when I'm trying to get out of bed, it looks like the most comfortable, fluffy thing that ever existed, right? So how do we get a good night's sleep? Let me kind of go um, high-quality mattress Okay. Imagine that you would get a mattress and it would be so comfortable that you would just fall in and it would wrap around you and you would sleep so well. Memory foam pillows, high thread count sheets, down comforters, weighted blanket. Anybody sleep with a weighted blanket? Look, there's studies that show that you're crazy. Okay. <laughs> just sorry. Too constricting for Jeff Hubbard. I felt like a little anxiety there just when I said the word. Uh, but it's interesting that we do all these different things, temperature, climate, all of these things to make sure that we get a good night's rest. Reality is that most of us don't have much downtime. Most Americans have about 26 uncommitted hours each week to devote to leisure. It's crazy to think of how few hours that actually is, but then oddly enough, half of that time is actually spent watching TV. Now, imagine that, that we do our downtime just to be entertained with what TV is. Most of us, if we were truthful and honest in this situation, would say, I need a little bit more downtime. I need a little bit more rest. 
And so the topic that we're going to talk about this morning, realize that Jesus up to this point has frustrated the religious leaders partly beyond their their just looking for reasons to get mad at him continually over and over and over. And so this morning's passage of scripture talks about Jesus on the Sabbath. Now the meaning of this or the definition of this is a time of rest from sunset Friday until sunset Saturday. Now, this gets lost in translation a little bit for us because when we get to Friday afternoon, what do we say? Woohoo, it's the weekend. We got something to do. We got something that's going on. I don't have to work. Now, imagine in their country, in their culture, and in, during this time period, Friday evening meant it's time to rest. I want you to think with me. Imagine that you get off Friday evening. You go home and the sun is going down and you begin to lay in your bed or lay on your couch and you stay there until Saturday evening. How many of you got a little anxiety? How many of you go, please Lord? Okay, whatever the case is, this is kind of what they were dealing with. And so still to this day, this is how this country functions. This is something that was given to them as a true understanding of what it means to truly rest. Look, the reality is this doesn't translate to American culture a lot of times because we don't know how to shut it down. We don't know how to stop. Even our vacations are planned to be busy after busy after busy after busy. Many of you have said those words, I need a vacation after my vacation, right? It's crazy how this works for us. So it makes it difficult for us to understand. But under Jewish custom, Jewish understanding, there were two major ordinances that people had to observe. The first was circumcision for males on the eighth day. And the second one was the Sabbath. Now, it's interesting that this is actually the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. This is something that's still practiced in Israel today. I've been over there a couple of times now and been blessed with that experience. And it's crazy because on Sabbat, which is their term for the Sabbath, everything shuts down. Now imagine, there are no Israelis that are working. If you are going to eat, it's been prepared by the Palestinians. Uh, There is those major rules that they do not violate. Now understand, one of the most frustrating things for me was uh, there's an elevator. Because to push an elevator button is actually considered work. So this elevator will go and stop on every floor. And so I got on this elevator because it was open and I was like, what are we doing? Why are we stopping on every floor? Who pushed the buttons? Like the little rainbow thing that kids do, right? Or adults, okay? Whichever one you are. But imagine it was just stopping so that nobody would have to work to push the button. The importance of this is that there were 39 classes of work that profane the Sabbath. They're very clear in their culture on the things that you can do and the things that you can't do. Now, one of these things was that you could not carry your children. Now, can you imagine this, moms? Your child comes up to you and says, Mommy, Daddy, and you go, Nope, I'm off today. Figure it out, right? Please don't practice that because your kids haven't been raised in that culture and it's not a genuine religious reason for you not to carry your children. But another thing is this, you could not sew more than one stitch, 
Imagine a catastrophic robe failure and all you could do without violating the law is one stitch. You could not write more than one letter. This was the only thing that you could do. One letter answers. So it leads us up to Jesus in the midst of the religious leaders. And this first violation, this major offense that he does. Mark chapter 2 and verse 23. It says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now listen, this is a major violation because you cannot reap on the Sabbath day. You cannot pull grain. You cannot pluck grains. You cannot do this type of work on the Sabbath. Everybody would have known this. Jesus would have had this understanding. Verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Here we go again, Jesus. What are your disciples doing? Why are you allowing them to do this? The interesting thing is that when nothing is going on, when somebody is doing something, it's easily noticeable. But the Pharisees were practicing this to make sure that they could catch Jesus and his disciples at every turn. It's interesting that the other violation that Jesus was doing in this exact same occasion was that you could not walk over 1,999 paces. Can you imagine this, that they would count their paces and once they got to 1,999, they would sit down and stop until the sun set. It's crazy to think that this would be the occasion, this would be the thing that would take place. Jesus was breaking the law right in front of their eyes. They were continually confronting it. We're continually going to Jesus going, why are you doing this? You know better. And to which Jesus' response, in verse 25 through 28, Jesus kind of lays the framework for them. And realize at this point, they had confronted Jesus a couple of times and they had walked away frustrated because they weren't right. Jesus would always put this upon them and their perspective and how they were seeing this. So we pick this up in verse 25, and Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. Now, understand, Jesus is giving the reference of David for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Jews would understand that the lineage of David would be that thing where the Messiah would come from. He's saying, I am going to, I am a king in my own right, the exact same way that David is. The second thing that he's giving to them is an understanding that David was the most beloved king of Israel. He was the one that everybody loved. He says, You don't remember the story of David, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abithar, the high priest. And ate the bread of the presence. To understand this, they would put 12 loaves of bread at the altar. And it would be not lawful, he says, which, is, which, is, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And also gave it 
to those who were with him. Not only did he violate this, he shared it with others. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. He recalls this instance, this illustration with David, if you will. And he gives the messianic reference, but he gives this understanding that if you can love David, you can love me. But to realize this violation was this huge thing because they would prepare these 12 loaves. They would be ceremonial, ceremonially taken place and only for the priest. Now, can we agree upon something this morning? It's not okay to take your pastor's food. Can we get just a wholehearted amen on that one? Listen, when it's prepared for you, leave my stuff alone. Thank you. One awake. But imagine the violation that was taking place. How could David feed these other individuals and take from the priest? Imagine at this point, these religious leaders are so tired of being wrong. Have you ever been around somebody that's right all the time and it's really annoying? And you just, you begin to go, say something that's wrong and I'm going to pounce and jump on it and expose it and point it out. Anybody been around that? Listen, my family would say this is me. Okay, no amens, thank you, that's good. And it's crazy because the more right that somebody is, the more wrong you just, you hope that they bait and they say something. So I read this illustration that describes this a little bit. A lady was in a, uh, in a store and the customer was holding up a dress and she asked the lady that was working there, she says, do you have this in a larger size? The lady responded, no ma'am. As we're a thrift store, everything we have in stock is on the shelves. The customer says, oh, not even in the back? With little to no sarcasm, the lady responds and says, no, ma'am. As I said, everything we have in stock is on the shelves. We don't keep anything in the back. To which the customer says, so could you order me one? To which the lady responds, ma'am, please let me explain. We're a thrift store where our proceeds go to charity. All of our items are donated. We can only stock what gets donated. So we have no control over what we sell. To which the customer responds, well, I don't want to support a charity and walks out. <laughs> Lady, you were wrong three times in front of this. I love how Jesus closes this example, this understanding out where he says, the son of man is Lord even on the Sabbath. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't take a break. He understands. Now listen, I'm not saying that we should not participate in the Sabbath, but I'm saying if something comes up where we serve the Lord, that's more important than our rest. Second violation we pick up in chapter three and verse one through five. This continued Sabbath, 
And again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand to understand this because they would allow somebody to do life-saving measures. If somebody's life was in jeopardy, then you could actually take part and help that person. But a withered hand would not fall under that category. Understand that Jesus was now with somebody with a withered hand. He's getting ready to violate the law once again. They watch Jesus to see whether he would heal. Can you imagine? This is the context going, don't do it. Don't do it, Jesus. If you do it, don't do it. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, I can imagine Jesus looking at the religious leaders when he says this, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? Or to do harm, to save life, or to kill it. He's in essence mocking one of their laws that they're getting ready to cite towards him. But they were silent. And he looked at them, around at them with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. It's easy for us to look at the religious leadership as a poor people or as somebody that we would not associate with. The reality this morning is that most of us probably relate way more to the religious leaders than we do to Jesus. See, we look at Jesus and go, surely you can't be asking me to do that. Listen, it's a wonderful thing to see Bailey jump up here and do this because she's bold enough and willing to do what God's called her to do. Listen, the reality for us is that we look at God and say, you must be talking to somebody else. You must be telling, Jesus, why are you doing it that way? I would do it way different. many times do we get frustrated by what Jesus is accomplishing? Because we think that he should do it a different way or he should do it the way that we want him to. We look for a fight with Jesus all the time saying, God, don't do that in their life. Do that in my life. Reality is how this closes in Mark chapter 3 verse 6. This instant stops is with a plot to stop Jesus. Mark chapter 3 verse 6 says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. This was the beginning of the end, just a few short months into his ministry. Imagine the frustration that says, we've got to stop Jesus. We've got to stop him from doing these things. He's upsetting everything that we think, everything that we believe in, everything that we know to be true for us. So I ask you this morning to evaluate some of the things that Jesus may be exposing in your life. Maybe it's how you approach people. Maybe it's something that you're not doing for him. Maybe it's you've looked at Jesus and said, why are you doing it that way? 
So the title of this message is this. It's always the right time to do the right thing. Listen, so let me challenge you in a couple of areas as your pastor based on this principle. First is this. Quit taking time off from living for Christ. Listen, the problem in the Christian world is that we feel like we can live for Christ on our terms. We can't. It's only on his terms. We say, God, I will do this. I will take care of this. I will do everything that you want me to do except for this. Now, we've gotten a little bit too comfortable taking time off, saying, God, I, I'll, I'll show up whenever I'm convenient, whenever I'm not busy, whenever nothing else is going on, I'll be a part of the church. If you don't believe that, look at the attendance on Christmas and Easter. This is why this exists. We take off all of the time in between so that we can just fulfill that minimal standard. I'll do just enough. Just enough. Religious leaders were continually holding to this, going, this is my standard, this is what I will do, and I will not change anything. But taking time off for living for Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says these words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, get this, not looking to the way we want it to be done, not looking to our own opinions, but looking to who? Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Quit taking time off from living for Christ. The second is do things that honor the Lord. Listen, for some reason we have this continual battle in Galatians 5 and 6. Talk about it as the battle of the flesh versus the spirit. The reality is that so many times we do things to please us or do things to honor us when Jesus is telling us, do things that honor the Lord. This means to live for Christ at all times. This means to conduct business in the correct way, to be loving and kind and reflect the image and glory of God. This means to be the best employee that you can be. This means to be a godly husband and a godly wife. This means to raise your children in a way that pleases the Lord. Listen, do things that honor the Lord. Pick time, pick opportunities for you to get involved in these things. I love the third one. Do the right things, even if it frustrates others. Listen, for some reason, there's so much social pressure so much social pressure to just not argue with anybody and not do anything different and be accepting of everything. Can I tell you, as believers, 
we can't fit in. We can't. Not if we're going to stand for what is true and stand for what is right. Look, this is a difficult way to live. Last is this. Don't let your religious beliefs hinder what Jesus is doing. And I I was trying to think of an occasion where we, we kind of look to Jesus and do you realize one of the most divisive things in the church is the music? You realize that churches have been split for years over what music is saying? Do you realize what the standard for music is? Does it glorify God? Listen, that's not our definition. That's based on the words that are being cried out. Look, the reality is that I love the old hymns. Most of the time, if you catch me singing around my house, it's a mighty fortress is our God. I love sovereign grace music. And listen, the reality is that those are the things that I hold on to. But do you know what this is not about? Me. Man, I love hearing Joe sing Waymaker, hearing Pete sing these songs. And listen, if you don't think that the Holy Spirit was working within the music, the reference that Pete used was of King David, the one that was so greatly loved. It's interesting, though, because we can take the music and get frustrated at the church. So I propose an idea that we just have preaching from now on. That was serious, people. Amen. Just kidding. Or you can have me sing. <laughs> Listen. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, that's a better response. He sits way too close to me over here. I can't tell you how many times religious people in the church stifle what Jesus is doing. They stifle it. Jesus can't be doing that in your life because you haven't done this and this and this. Just because Jesus has never done it that way before does not mean that he won't do it that way in the future. Imagine the Pharisees and the religious leaders that are looking at Jesus going, you're breaking the law continually. There's no way you're the Messiah. Fast forward three years. Nicodemus has a conversation with Jesus, begging to understand who this Jesus was. They watch Jesus crucified on a cross only to hear people in the crowd in the background saying, this must have been the Messiah. Don't let your religious beliefs hinder what Jesus is doing. Let me close with this. When confronted with what you think is right, collides with what Jesus is teaching, stop trying to be right And learn to follow Jesus. Listen. Abraham. Moses. David. 
constantly looked at God and said, please do it some way different. As David was hiding in the caves, fearing for his life, I know you're God, but can't we do this differently? Let me close with this thought. It's always the right time to do the right thing. We've got to stop thinking that this is a situational way to live. If we are going to live for Christ, we do things the right way so much that people look at us and go, there's Jeff again. You know he ain't going to do it wrong. Do the right thing regardless of the crowd, regardless of the situation, regardless of how people are going to receive it. You do things the way that God has called you to do them. Everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. I know sometimes when I was reading this passage of scripture, I wanted to be team Jesus. I wanted to go, man, these guys are idiots. How do they not get what Jesus is doing? Until the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, Jeff, you relate to the religious leaders way more than you relate to Jesus. Many times have I evaluated what Christ is doing and said, no, surely he can't be doing it that way. How many times in your life have you discounted what Jesus wants to do in your heart and what he wants to do in your life? Look, one of the first instances that this happens is when you're presented with the opportunity to place your faith and trust in Christ. I don't know. Jesus probably said that all could come to Christ except for me. Can I tell you? That's not how that goes. Another instance is that I think that I need to clean up my life and I need to put the pieces back together and then I'll be able to follow Jesus. The reality is that's not the way that it works either. The way that it works, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. You understand that you're a sinner and you simply say, I can't do it without you. I completely place my faith and trust in you. From that full point forward, God begins to change things in your life. Begins to expose things that you, that you didn't think really were sin. And he begins to challenge you and say, will you truly live for me? The reality is that some of you have been in church for a really long time. You're starting to discount what Jesus can do and what he can't do. And I tell you, stop. Pay attention to Christ. Pay attention to what he's doing. Get on board with where he's going, with where he's leading. Quit putting up walls and quit putting up things that, that keep you from genuinely following Christ. 
the challenge this morning is, will you start to do the right thing in every situation? Dear Father, I come to you humbled and thankful for the way that you love us. We're thankful for this great challenge in my heart and in my life. Lord, will I submit? And what a different occasion it would have been if the religious leaders, after five interactions with Jesus, said, you must be the Christ. I'm ready to follow you. I don't care about everything that I know. When I think about it in Acts chapter 9, Paul's conversion feels so righteous that he's finally fulfilling and accomplishing the things that he thought that he was doing for the Lord. When a bright light shines and blinds him and puts him down, and you begin to speak. Lord, from that point forward, he's completely blinded physically and blind and begins to evaluate everything that he's done up to that point. Lord, he truly begins to live for you from that day forward. Not that his life was easier. It was way more difficult. Lord, you were with him every step of the way. Father, there's never a time we can look at Paul's life and say, he didn't handle that one right. Constantly leaned upon you and allowed you to continue to work. Father, please, those that haven't placed their faith in you, I pray that they would submit to you. And those that are, are living for you, partially, I pray that you would allow them to fully live for you. Father, help us to be a church, to be a people, to be followers of you that do things in the right way. That we're always looking to you to please you and honor you. Father, be glorified in this message this morning. Christ precious and only name we pray. Amen. Everybody would stand. Our worship team is going to sing a song. As they sing this song, I pray that this would be a time of reflection for you. Maybe you're in that situation where you, you, you just need to confess your sin to God and say, listen, I'm tired of doing things this way. I'm tired of doing this. Listen, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But listen, some of you have gotten too comfortable in that confession stage. And Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, my grace is more sufficient than your sin. And listen, that will always be the case. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, shall we continue in sin so that more grace may abound? And he says, God forbid. It's time for the church. It's time for us to stop doing things the right way and start pleasing and honoring the Lord with everything that we do. If the Lord's began to spoke to you this morning, this altar is open to you. A place of response, a place to say, God, I'm ready. And the boldness that comes from getting up from this altar and beginning to truly live for Christ is truly powerful. So whether it's in your seat or whether it's at this altar, let the Lord work during this next song.